KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Ikran, associate producer, tells me I went to a PWI for college. Yep, that stands for Primarily White Institution. Ah, then yes, I definitely did for both undergraduate and graduate school. Are you hitting me up front with an acronym I need to know today? You know I am. And I have one more for you, an acronym that usually means the opposite of PWI, HBCU. You know what, I do know what that one means, a historically black college or university. Yep. It's an higher ed institution started prior to 1964, specifically for the purpose of educating black Americans in a supportive and enriching environment. These institutions allow any race to attend, but they tend to be predominantly black. Fun fact, they actually graduate twice, twice as many black STEM majors than other higher ed institutions. We'll get into why that might be the case in our last episode of the season. But for this episode, we chat with an engineer who went to an HBCU where he found a sense of belonging. I went from being the black kid who's on a robotics team who loves science and is really nerdy to just the person who's on a robotics team who's really nerdy and likes science. Stay with us because this is Rad Scientist. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Daryl Brown is an electrical engineering PhD candidate at UC San Diego, but his plan B might surprise you. My fallback in case this science thing doesn't work is I always wanted to be a voice actor. Let me wet my palate first. <clears throat> I can make my voice sound very different. Or I can make it a little bit higher. I understand what's wrong with you. Can't you just get out of my way? Why are you being so mean? Whoa! Um, I guess it does fit with my research because I do, I study vocalizations. Um, I'm studying it more like from a, like a neuroengineering perspective to be used for the development of a human speech prosthesis. Basically, he wants to help build machines that can take brain activity and translate it into human speech for those who can no longer produce vocalizations due to paralysis or neurodegeneration. I've always been interested in neuroprosthetics. My grandfather was a paraplegic. Um, so as a kid, I was always uh, really curious as to like how why can't Grandpa walk? Like how can I help him? Like what can be done? The field of neuroprosthetics asks how we can replace, re-engineer parts of the human body that no longer work. And Daryl displayed natural engineering tendencies as a kid. For instance, tinkering with home entertainment devices. I would take apart things. Uh, which was like your typical like child thing, um, but then I'll put them back together and it'll still work. I think one of the funniest memories I remember was there was a remote um, for a TV 
it was always broken. I eventually took it apart and like, oh, this like, not knowing what circuits were, but like knowing inherently like, okay, I think this thing should be connected to this. Um, fixed the remote and it started working. My dad was like, how the hell did this thing start working again? And my dad's laughing because like, my dad's an electrical engineer and he never really cared to fix it. Um, he was like, yeah, we should probably water this seed. So Daryl grew up doing nerdy things and went to study mechanical engineering at Howard University and HBCU, also known as the Mecca. Going to Howard allowed me to really grow. It was one of the few opportunities where I went from being the black kid who's on a robotics team who loves science and is really nerdy to just the person who's on a robotics team who's really nerdy and likes science. Afterwards, he got a master's in biomechanical engineering and then went on to his PhD. And when thinking about how to make progress on neuroprosthetics, he was well aware of some of the difficulties surrounding the field, like how to build better systems given the limits on opportunities of doing experiments with humans. We have a patient um, who typically they either they um, are, have like uh, tetraplegia or they have um, seizures or they have um, some underlying neuropathology where they it can't be treated by medication, like they have to do invasive uh, brain surgery. So this is where researchers might pop in and ask, hey, while your skull is open, um, would you be a doll and let us put some conductive sticks in your brain and have you say some silly things repeatedly for science? And it's really one of the only ways to get this kind of data with humans. But you can see how it would be hard to make progress quickly. Imagine if every game was the Super Bowl. Like, there was no practices, there's no playoffs, you just went straight in. Yeah, that's probably not going to go so well. Uh, that's why he needs to work with an animal model, some species that makes a lot of regular vocalizations that you can keep in a lab and record from their brains. That's not easy. Primates, like, they vocalize, but you can't just, like, tell a monkey, say hello 15 times in a row. Is that a challenge, Daryl? But you can get a bird to sing the same song a bunch of times in a row. Ah, yes, birds. Well, not just any birds, songbirds. There are about 5,000 species of songbirds out there, but Daryl is studying a particular species with bright orange beaks and striped tail feathers, the zebra finch. They'll sing in isolation, they'll sing in groups. These birds love singing, even in a lab. The interesting thing is that their song is learned um, in, this, in the way that's very similar to how we learn how to speak. Songbirds have tutors, older birds that teach them the proper song. And young birds start out by doing something akin to babbling until their songs get better. Here's a male zebra finch's song as it goes from a wee little bird to an adult. So this is an adolescent. Now a teenager. Too cool for school. And finally, this is the adult finch with 401k, mortgage, all that. And now, all together in a sequence so you can really hear the progression. Okay, I've been told by my editor that perhaps it's not super easy to tell the difference in the songs if you haven't studied songbirds before. 
but you got to trust me on this one. By adulthood, these male birds have constructed their lifelong song that they will use to woo the ladies. And what you might have heard probably sounds simple, and that's because it is. It's a chain of syllables that are repeated in the same order. One, two, three. One, two, three. But sometimes the finches will mix things up. The way I think about it is kind of like whenever you have a drummer playing and while they're playing, they may like twirl their their stick before continue playing. They may add a little flair in between their motifs. That allows us to kind of have the best of both worlds. One, we have like the stereotype song, like the syllables, their, their muscle contractions have to be about the same to produce that sound. But there's still natural like jitter that happens in, in, in speech. So when you think of like human speech, although our words may have their kind of like stereotype sound, like the sound, like the word um, hello, um, but you can say hello faster, slower. You can, in a sentence where I'm saying the same five words in, in an order, the gaps between the, the words can, can dilate or contract. Daryl hopes that by studying how the bird brain elicits songs, he can figure out how to make a vocal prosthesis for the zebra finch during his PhD. The, the pie in the sky like, would be, we would have um, found neural signals that, uh, that would encode um, song. Um, we would develop a, a closed-loop real-time system that we can then implant and connect to the bird. When we have the bird singing, is this prediction, um, does it match what the bird is trying to sing? Zebra finches are really just a means to an end. Ultimately, the result of Daryl's work is meant to help out people, people who have lost or will lose the ability to speak. But even though he wants to be a force for good for humanity, he recognizes a bitter irony. It's really weird to work in a space where like a lot of like my research, I aim for it to help all people. It doesn't matter the color of their skin, it doesn't matter their race, religion, gender identity. And to do work to help these individuals, but still understand that some of those individuals are totally okay with a system that would kill me for no reason. It's a weird mental gymnastic exercise that pretty much have to do every day. I don't think I've really thought of this before, um, mostly, well, because I'm white, but, you know, there could be some anti-Semitist out there, um, but also because primarily I've done basic research that <laughs> is really unlikely to help anyone um, in the near term. Yeah, uh, every now and then, whenever I'm thinking about being a doctor, I think about all the people who might not want me to treat them because I am black, but... I do think it's a bit different for Daryl because people who get prosthetics that he's worked on might not know who made it. True, yeah. You know, the science Daryl does is really cool. I'm kind of a sucker for songbird research. Uh, but, I mean, you can tell that he has a lot of other things to deal with than just songbirds. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the impact that his research might have on the world in the future, but also the impact the world has on him and his research now. 
Yeah, well, after a short break, I chat with Daryl about his experience in academia as a black man. So stick around. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Daryl grew up with stories of his grandparents, who were part of the civil rights movement. All four of them were civil rights activists and, and people who really pushed for, like, equality. They lived in Greenville, Alabama, just 45 minutes outside of Montgomery. And Martin Luther King came to visit Greenville in 1965. That's when his grandparents received bomb threats on their house. So my grandfather had to sit outside the house with a shotgun um, to watch over. So this is a this is a U.S. veteran having to after already serving his country, is having to protect his house um, for just existing. For just existing. Not a new phenomenon, even though it is getting a lot more attention these days. Like, these, these stories, they're like 400 years old. Like, they're, they're, there's nothing new to them. It's more so now of, like, people finally are seeing it and I hate that it took for someone to basically be tortured on camera for eight minutes and like 46 seconds for people to be like, yeah, they're, 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 there's no refusing it. It was always irrefutable to me since I was a kid. Even though it isn't new, Daryl wanted to march in local protests, but he's torn because he also just wants to focus on his research. So it's been stressful in the sense of like, man, I just want to do science. <laughs> I like, I, I really, like, I want to do the things that like, that bring me joy and allow me to help out in the world. But on the same level, it's like, well, I, I can't just do science. Like, I love talking about science, but also like, I'm still feel the need to communicate within this broader context. Other black academics have been feeling this need to speak out about racism as well, especially on Twitter. Right now there's a hashtag black in the ivory kind of addressing these sort of situations. Like every single stage of the like academia, of education. But he cautions that the stories you end up hearing are just the tip of the iceberg because black academics have to be careful about what they say, how much they push back. Those are still filtered stories. Those are the stories that, like, one, those are from the perspective of people who are able to survive the environment, but also those are, those are the stories that they are able to, like, filter through and decide that, okay, that me telling the story does not pin an inherent risk to my career. This is very apparent when I ask about his personal experiences. I often get this answer. It's probably best not to comment on probably more of the more like the worst experiences I've had. At least not until after I defend. Uh 
And yeah, it makes sense to be guarded, especially as a graduate student when you don't have much power. But there were parts of his experience that he did want to share because they're part of his everyday life. I am a black engineering researcher. Um, like, there, I can't just be an engineering researcher because like, everything that I do and experience will be through that lens. Most of these actions, they're not to the point of being like the, the explicit civil rights, like someone's hosing me down and sticking a dog on me. Um, but the intent is still the same. It's still to try to enforce the idea that I am not allowed in this space. Having to defend my right to be in certain spaces that I shouldn't have to defend myself for. Like working late in a building I've been working in for years and having someone come in and like, well, well, who are you? Or are you allowed to work in here? Are you are you allowed to be here? Are you like we've had we had a problem with students breaking in and, and trying to to damage property like, dude, my picture is literally on the wall behind you. Like I've been working here for three plus years. Over time to deal with all of this, he learned to take on a different persona. Even though he can make all kinds of voices, he uses a calm one. But he knows even this isn't enough. I'm, I'm a big person, both like height and like build. So like I learned from a young age to like not portray myself in a way that makes me a threat. Like no matter, no matter how nice I am, no matter how educated I sound, no matter what big words I use, no matter how many books I read, no matter how hard I work, one little minor thing will make me a threat slash make me a delinquent. Daryl wants to continue in the field of neuroprosthetics and help bridge the gap between studies conducted in the lab and what makes it into the clinic. Daryl explained earlier that his father saw his capabilities and nurtured them, watering that seed, making it grow. Corny as it may sound, now Daryl's in full bloom, and he's not going to let anything get in his way. Right now, my acts of resistance is just making sure I publish and making sure I continue to do good science. Just existing in that space and, and in spite of all of the kind of like pesticides coming at me, just still growing. All right, it's time now for our recurring segment where Ikran schools you with a vocab lesson of sorts. Today, though, we're all about the acronyms. So here's an acronym you need to know today with Ikran Ibrahim. Hey folks, since you've already learned two acronyms today, HBCU and PWI, I decided I might be a little bit generous and throw one more at y'all, BIPOC. It's a catch-all for traditionally marginalized people. The B stands for black, the I for indigenous, and the POC for people of color. Sometimes it can feel like a cop-out when using the acronym if you are only referring to a specific group. For instance, using BIPOC when you just mean black people. Well, that's all I have for you today. Sayonara. Okay, one more thing before we go. I asked Daryl to send me a clip of him saying rad scientist. You heard that up top before the theme guitar riff. But he also sent me this amazing yet 
horrifying version. This is Rad Scientist. I will never hear Rad Scientist the same again. Okay, now for the credits. Rad Scientist is produced and written by me, Margot Wall. The assistant producer is Ikran Ibrahim, and Elisa Barba is the editor. Our theme guitar riff is by Grant Fisher, logo by Kyle Fisher, no relation. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator. Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is director of programming. Additional music by Blue Note Sessions, Chad Crouch, Lee Rosevere, Lobo Loco, and Poddington Bear. This show is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. On the next episode, you'll meet Kaylee Arnold. It's really hard to sit down and think about a dissertation when there's so many like bigger things happening in the world. Coming in two weeks. Stay rad. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.